0: What's up everyone, this is Rajan. So after a little bit of a summer vacation, we're pleased to be kicking off another season of sorts of the Hail to the District podcast. Um, I held both the conversations you're gonna hear right now to kick things off after the aforementioned several weeks of hiatus, while Pat's kind of finishing up his summer vacation back east actually, um, but that's certainly not meant to take anything away from him. Anyone who follows our Twitter account in particular knows there's been nonstop action or maybe just nonstop NAS chatter But nonetheless, that's a good thing. Um, I want to give him a big shout out as him basically doing the guy, the guy doing 95% of the work on our Twitter account. Actually, usually if you just see a snarky quote tweet making fun of something stupid or calling someone stupid probably, um, that's usually me. Otherwise, the good content is actually coming from him. But point being, we have a lot of great content that we're planning for the fall and through the upcoming winter and stuff like that. We'll be, of course, be doing our weekly uh, post game podcast for the Washington football team for the 2021 season. But in regards to both conversations in this podcast, I had a chance to talk to Shield Kabadia, one of the lead NFL writers for The Athletic. And I gotta say, Shield couldn't have been any more cool throughout this entire process. He was literally driving from one training camp to another while we had the conversation. So that's why the audio you're actually going to hear in the first part of the conversation is a lot shittier than I would have preferred. But that's 100% our fault or on our end. Uh, actually, if someone can design a high-quality call recording application for the iPhone, that would be great. There's a lot of money to be made there. But that notwithstanding, uh, part two of the podcast, I bring on my longtime buddy John to recap the Washington Wizards not spending the offseason doing short-sighted things that are tantamount to shooting themselves in the foot. It's like a whole new world for them. So uh, hopefully you enjoy both parts. And if you are catching this episode on a podcast feed, do make sure you go to hailtothedistrict.com, where we're going to post a link to how you can get Shields' 2021 NFL playbook and a link to how you can follow him on Twitter. But that's enough of me yammering away onto the conversations.
1: Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. So I'm really pleased to be joined by Shiel Kapadia, who covers the NFL for the Athletic. Um, he actually just debuted his 2021 NFL playbook, which is another great part for anyone who subscribes to the Athletic. And as you've heard me and Patsy all the time, we don't get kickbacks for plugging the Athletic. We're just great fans of uh, great content, I should say, at a great price, which is what you get along with supporting guys like S.H.I.E.L. to do the work that they do. But um, without digressing too far, again, S.H.I.E.L., thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to have this conversation and a pleasure to have this conversation.
2: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. You know, maybe we should be able to get you kickbacks uh, for the athletic We can get like a promo code or something. That way when you uh, promote the athletic, you know, maybe there's even a little bit more in there for you. So we'll say maybe talk to the higher-ups and get that done.
1: Hey man, I appreciate it. Anything you can do, even if it's a couple of nickels here and there, I'm all about it. That's that's really kind of you. Um, so right. for for those of you who haven't followed Sheila's work, uh, he covers the Philadelphia Eagles for the other four-letter network that you you know everyone's familiar with. But he, he does you know a holistic viewpoint of the NFL right now for the Athletic, although definitely with some more focus on the Eagles, and we'll we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, Sheila, I wanted to ask you as we were kind of talking about before this. Um, as Washington fans, you know, a lot of the beat reporters joke that there's just this really rare sense of optimism around town, which is a stark 180 compared to what we're used to in years past. Like it basically, you know, you have the dichotomy of fans who are like, we're going 16 and 0 and fans are like, we're going 0 and 16 and everything is broken and both sides. Well, I shouldn't say the former side, more so the latter side always had arguments, but that all that being said. As you talk to people around the league, especially those maybe connected with the NFC East, what is the perception of this 2021 edition of the Washington team from outsiders kind of looking at?
2: It? Yeah, you know, I think they had a very uh, – their offseason made made sense. And as you know, they're – you know, you can't say that every year about the Washington football team. And so I think when you look at the moves that they made, you look at it and say, okay, maybe they do have a – you know, they're more competent. Uh, there's a professionalism that I think Ron Rivera – brings to the operation and so I don't want to go as far as to say stability because I think as long as the ownership uh, is the ownership there's always going to be sort of that cloud hanging over that franchise and they're always going to be you know uh, one move away or one blow up away or whatever you want to say from uh, kind of kind of cratering and going back in the direction that we've seen them been in be in in uh, previous years but I do think if you're just sort of focused on this off season and where they are at this uh, at this point in time, they're a competitive team with uh, with a professional head coach that should compete, uh, you know, to win the NFC East or to be a playoff team this year.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of different layers to that. Um, you know, they're obviously seven and nine uh, coming off the NFC East championship, which kind of speaks to both uh, the seven and nine speaks to the fact that they, you know, were up and down a little bit last year, but also speaks to the quality of the rest of the division, which as we mentioned, we'll kind of get into. But um, one of the things I wanted to dive into when it comes to Washington a little bit, uh, and you wrote a column, I think it was last week or the week before in the athletic, Uh, you had, I think you're ranking all 32 defenses and you had Washington fourth best. If my uh, memory serves me correctly. And I think obviously used to discuss the front four, which is, you know, a pretty obvious place to start. No one can disagree with that. Um, You also talked about like Jamin Davis, uh, you know, through the draft, swapping out William Jackson for Ronald Davis. Um, all of that being, excuse me, William Jackson for, uh, yeah, for, you know, uh, for Ronald Darby, not Davis. Thank you. Um, but as, was there any other parts of the defense or any other t- parts of the team for that matter that really stuck out to you where you're like, hey, that's interesting and that could be kind of the preferable game changer, if you will?
2: No, you know, I think you look at it specifically with their defense, and I don't want to be like the cl- cliched, you know, hey, their their front four is awesome guy. But, I mean, it really is the case. But, it but is. I think the key is – yeah, the key is it's it's not older guys, you know, like, like you can – defense is volatile. I was just talking to somebody – I'm driving from the Cleveland Browns camp today, and there's this sort of analytical idea that offensive efficiency is sort of sticky year over year. Like if you uh, have a good offense and you maintain your quarterback and your play caller, like there's going to be, you know, some fluctuations, but you're probably going to be sort of around where you were the previous year uh, the next year. And defense – can be a little bit different because, uh, you know, it can be very turnover heavy. Sometimes you could, uh, you know, get get luckier. There's more of a randomness to it, um, some of the analytical studies point to. It, but I think when you look at Washington, like they have so many young ascending players in the front four, like none of those players you would expect to be uh, significantly worse than they were last year. And if anything, you know, Chase Young could come out and have like 14 sacks. You know, that that would not shock uh, anybody given his talent. So there's like an upside there and a reason to believe that that front four can be even better than it was last year. And then you mentioned it, Jamin Davis, you know, Ron Rivera, I think he has sort of earned that trust uh, with the linebacker position specifically with the guys he's coached in the past and how well they've performed that you look at that and say, you know, Jamin Davis could certainly be the leading tackler among all, all rookies this year. That, that would not shock anybody. And then the move I really liked was William Jackson, For ronald darby because you know they signed ronald darby to a low-cost contract last offseason which is fine you can take a flyer on guys like that he plays really well for them well what bad teams do is then they go ahead and they extend that guy and pay him big money but they did not do that because ronald darby if you look at the big picture with him he's had injury issues he's had inconsistent play and so you kind of want him at a certain price point but you don't want him as sort of a marquee free agent I think William Jackson is a much safer option or more a more durable option and frankly a better player so that was like a move that signaled to me all right they are uh you know thinking about this thing in the right way and so you put all those pieces together you think of Landon Collins coming back we'll see um you know whether he's 100% or if he looks like the player he was before but like there are a lot lot of reasons that point to this defense being as good as it was last year and maybe in certain areas uh, better than it was last year.
1: The Landon Collins point is interesting because you know Achilles injury it's the new ACL if you want to look at it it's one of those that it takes more than a year the traditional thinking is it takes more than a year to recover you're not the same guy again until year two but at least from the local scribes who have no reason to be like overly optimistic about anything for for any given reason but you know they've been very very positive about how collins has looked again his training camp and shirt and, and t shirt yeah shorts and t-shirts um, but there's a lot of optimism around here, um, around him. And to your point about Jackson, I think one of the things I really liked about him was that when he was coming out, I can't remember, like 17 or 16 or 17, whatever, he was coming out of U- University of Houston. Like, he was a very highly touted prospect. And I don't know whether it was just a fit issue in Cincinnati, whether it was a turnover, like a coaching turnover system. Thing there but never really got to maximize his talent but there's a ton of it and I mean if you look at it from like a, a Madden standpoint his talent number if you will is a more talented player a quote-unquote better player than Ronald Darby so if nothing else you can look at it as an upgrade even though Darby was surprisingly solid for Washington last year
2: yeah I think that's absolutely right I think if you pulled uh you know every GM in the league and just said who's the better player you know you could have either player at the same price point who would you want? You know, I would think most, if not all, would pick William Jackson. So, um, you know, people in Cincinnati, uh, I think, that, you, you know, there were times I think early in William Jackson's career where it was like, wow, this guy could be a superstar, and then he didn't sort of follow that trajectory. But you mentioned it. I mean, they've been, um, you know, a, a very, I don't know what the nice word is to say. I don't want to say train wreck of a franchise, but I don't think it's been, uh, that bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Volatile, inconsistent, uh, unreliable. I mean, we can use all those words, but it certainly hasn't been a place where you say, all right, you know, each play, you're going to get the most out of each player. Each player is going to maximize their talent in that situation, in that environment. So I do think there's actually more upside for Jackson uh, in Washington, playing with a better coaching staff, playing with a better uh, supporting cast, um, you know, to, to maybe reach a higher ceiling. And even he saw in Cincinnati, I mean, he's still young. He's, what, 27, uh, I think around 27, 28 years old. So you look at it, you know, that's still three three years or so where you would think he could still be uh, in his prime or, or the arrow pointing up.
1: So kind of switching gears a little bit um, to the opposite, or I should say flip flipping to the opposite side of the ball. Um, you know, a lot's been made about the upgrades that the team's made to the receiving core. Um, second year of Antonio Gibson going, you know, you know the development of him, a um, couple changes on the offensive line, but by and large, the same group coming back, please Brandon Sheriff sure, for now. But the proverbial $64,000 question, of course, is the quarterback. We know that Washington was linked to God knows pretty much everybody so close to Matt Stafford in terms of, you know, trading for him. Obviously the LA got him, but, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick is where we ultimately landed, which I'm not sure everybody would have predicted before the season started or before the offseason started, but it is what it is. Um, Similar question we're talking about when it comes to the perception of the franchise. What do people say when they're like, oh, well, they got got Ryan Fitzpatrick, so they should expect blank from him?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, big picture-wise, it's a placeholder, right? I I mean, that's – I think it's pretty obvious that they don't expect to win a Super Bowl with Ryan Fitzpatrick. They don't expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to be the guy – for the next three years, but I think they weighed their options a little bit. And like you said, they, they took a run at Stafford. They did not land him. They did not like the other options that were available to them. And so they said, well, we have a, you know, a relatively competitive roster. You don't have to tank in the NFL. Let, let's go with Ryan Fitzpatrick and we'll see what happens this year. And then we'll revisit our options uh, next off season. So I think it's a fine strategy to, to be quite honest. You know, I think, uh, certainly at some point you want to find stability at that position and you want to find the guy who you can say, all right, the next three to five years, let's go all in with this guy. We feel good about it. Even if it's expensive, that's okay. He has a super bowl cool ceiling, uh, but you want to make do that for the right guy. You don't want to just do that uh, for any guy because then you're, you're kind of setting yourself back uh, if you don't feel great about it. So in terms of performance, you know, I would say with Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think he would expect competent, professional play i think the most likely scenario is that he's probably going to be in the middle of the pack somewhere you know somewhere between the 10th and 20th best starter in the nfl now what i like about ryan fitzpatrick is that it's not a boring it's not a boring production with him you know it's not it's not like uh and you know you watch sort of guys like andy dalton and you're like oh my gosh you know regardless of what the stats say the numbers say you just like that was not a fun viewing experience. That's not the case with Fitzpatrick. You know, he is a uh, YOLO quarterback. He's going to throw the ball up. He's going to take shots downfield. Even if you look at it statistically, it bears out when you look at like which quarterbacks make the highest percentage of tight window throws. I think he's been among the the top two, three, five, whatever, over the last two seasons. And so he gives his wide receivers chances. And so uh, that's fun to watch. Now, you know, as Washington fans, there will be weeks where you say, this guy's unbelievable. Like, well, you know, how did, how did we land him? He just threw for 378 yards and four touchdowns, and we put up 35 points. That was awesome. And then there will probably be weeks where you say, how is this a guy starter in the NFL? He just threw three interceptions in the second half. Uh, he, he's reckless with the football. And so there's going to be ups and downs, but I think overall uh, he's an entertaining guy. And I've covered games, you know, a, a few Ryan Fitzpatrick games. Uh, I think a couple – uh in tampa and he carved up the eagles during those games where i just you know you leave those games thinking when this guy's on fire like he's as fun to watch uh as a lot of quarterbacks in the league so you know bottom line is at the end of the year i I don't think you're going to be talking about him as a great player i don't think you're going to be talking about him as a terrible player but i do think if you just look at it as sort of an entertainment experience week by week that uh, it, it will be pretty fun
1: yeah the, the the roller coaster metaphor has always been there. You actually repeated what i've said like when people have asked. You know, in whatever conversations I've had about Fitzpatrick, I'm like, there's going to be weeks where he gets you 404 in terms of 404 touchdowns, 400 yards and four touchdowns. And there's going to be weeks where he gets you 104 in terms of 100 yards and four picks, right? And it's kind of like you're living on it's the YOLO exactly how you put it, right? Like you're living on either side of the spectrum, but it's the middle is definitely not where you're going to be. And it's a stark comparison because last year with Terry McLaurin hurt. Our entire off and you know Alex Smith having the well known you know challenges with his leg. Like our entire offense was just dump off passes to Logan Thomas and J D McKissick, and if those two weren't open, haven't helped us all. So yeah, it's it's a very stark contrast when you look at it in a good way, but also in a bad way as you ever
2: Yeah, um, you no mentioned- doubt about it. I mean, I, it, yeah, no. I was just gonna say, yeah, last year you know statistically they had the worst offense in the league. You start four different quarterbacks, uh, no stability ability at all so um if nothing else this uh you know the move should uh raise them to mediocrity and entertaining mediocrity so i think that's a step on
1: i'll take it uh a step above mediocrity <laughs> if there's entertainment one I will, uh, that's that's good enough for me right now given what we had recently um you dropped in a little tidbit about the eagles and carving at the eagles will always have a soft spot in my heart although if we're if we're, if we're being honest, in terms of my hatred of NFC teams, the Eagles are kind of towards the bottom. I, I loathe the Cowboys and the Giants much more than I loathe the Eagles. But uh, to the point about the Eagles, um, you had uh, you had a, in your Birds with Podcast, which is a Birds with Friends Podcast, which is a great name, by the way. I'd love to get your thoughts, given you do the podcast with uh, other people who cover the Eagles for the Athletic. Um, what what is the sense with that team going into 2021? Right, because you have the obvious question with like Jalen Hurts. Um, there's a lot of injuries. There's a lot of gaps on the team in terms of like uh, you know big question marks or whatever. The receiving core, you don't know what to get, what you're going to get with there, get with them there. Um, just overall thoughts.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of optimism uh, around the team. You know, if you look at what they did in the off season, pretty much everything was to set themselves up to take a big swing on a quarterback next off season. You know, they trade Carson Wentz. Uh, They're going to get a couple picks back for him, maybe a first-rounder, depending on if he plays, how much he plays, how well he plays. Uh, They move back in the draft from number six to number 12, and they get the Miami Dolphins' first-round pick. So they're in a situation where they're going into next offseason with potentially three first-round picks, uh, but definitely two first-round picks and two second-round picks. And so you look at that, and they are in a spot where if there's a veteran quarterback who becomes available – they could take a big swing on him uh, or if there's somebody in the draft that they feel like they just love and they want to make a big move up for kind of like what the 49ers did this year they they have the ammunition to do that as well. So uh, they're starting Jalen hurts this year. You know, I don't sense a lot of optimism that Jalen hurts is going to be the guy. Now he's going to get an opportunity and there are surprises in the league every year. So if he all of a sudden plays well, and they think they have something, well, that's going to be a great surprise and a great outcome because now you have a quarterback and you have all these draft picks where you can do other stuff with. I don't think that's the most likely scenario. I don't think that's the scenario that they are expecting, but that is one potential outcome. And then, of course, uh, the other outcome is they they play Hurts, they're not very good, and all of a sudden they have all this draft capital and they make a move for someone as sort of a rebuild next offseason.
1: You talked about the trade, and if you're not, if you can't comment on it, or if you've had off-the-record conversations, that's totally respectable. But there was a blip that came up earlier this week on social media connecting the Eagles to Deshaun Watson. um There's obviously a lot of wrinkles in that story, but I'm curious, from what you're hearing, is there any validity? Because as I was joking with one of my friends, who's a fellow Washington football fan, we're like, regardless of all the optics. Stuff that's happened, the allegations. Don't want to touch any of those. But it, like, objectively, if Deshaun Watson, the football player, arrives in Philadelphia, that's bad news for everyone else, which for teams that go against the Eagles. So, do you, are you hearing any legitimacy, or is that just kind of murmur?
2: Yeah. No. I mean, I think it's a very uh, complex situation. Obviously, there's there's 22 uh, civil lawsuits against him. There yes. are open. Uh, you know, criminal investigations. Against him, and then the third layer to it is league discipline. And so, uh, to me, there's just so much uncertainty around Sean Watson's future in the NFL and what's going to happen that I would be surprised if any team, you know, did anything uh, about making a move for him right now. Now, uh, if down the road, uh, you know, that stuff gets settled, he gets cleared, whatever, basically, is a future in the NFL. Uh, if you're talking about it just from a football angle, uh, yeah, I think that would be someone that they would be interested in. I mean, and I think a lot of teams probably would be, right? I mean, he's uh, 25, 26 years old, and he's just on the field, has performed like a top 10 uh, quarterback. So any team that's sort of quarterback needy would look into that. But uh, again, like you mentioned, these these are very serious allegations and so there's a lot to weigh uh for any team and they've got to do their own investigation too um you know before they decide whether or not to acquire him
1: and lord knows before the allegations came out there were fantasies in washington when we didn't know what our quarterback situation was that we would throw a whole boatload of draft picks and go get watson and people photoshopping number four jerseys and burgundy and gold here so yeah i mean objectively if there was a if all the other stuff didn't exist, obviously it doesn't. Those are very serious. But objectively, if, if it was just Deshaun Watson, what we saw last fall, then yeah, I mean, the guy was probably a top ten player in the NFL and a dark horse or like slightly distant uh, MVP candidate. While we're while we're talking about the rest of the NFC, East, kind of just hopping over real quick to the aforementioned Low Giants and Cowboys. Any thoughts again in the same vein as what I was asking about before about what other people are saying about the about Dallas about New York. Um, you know, there's buzz in New York could potentially make a little bit of a leap. You know, and then Dallas, I think the big thing for them is that they're healthy. That perennially seems to be the question for them. Yeah,
2: I, I think that that's absolutely true. You know, you see it with their – I think with their offense specifically, you know, I think if they can keep Dak Prescott healthy and we'll see how healthy his shoulder is and if they can just limit the injuries – on the offensive line, I mean, I think last year, the two most injured offensive lines in the NFL were the Eagles and the Cowboys. And so every team deals with some injuries, but now we have these metrics where you can see, all right, who is really affected by it. And the Cowboys were. So uh, I think if they have Prescott and if the offensive line is relatively healthy, I think that offense has a chance to be really good. Uh, I think their defense may be one of the worst in the NFL, but we sort of see it every year where if you're great on offense, and you, even if you have, like, the 26th-ranked defense, like, that can still lead to a, a pretty good record because, uh, because offense can really carry you through a lot of those games. So I think that's their formula. Now, I don't have a lot of faith in their coaching staff. Uh, you know, Mike McCarthy, um, uh, you know, I don't know that he was the best person for that job. I don't know that he really gives them an edge in a lot of places. So uh, that would make me a little uneasy if I were a Cowboys fan. But I do like Prescott. And I do like their offense. Uh, I think that can, uh, in an NFC East that I don't think is great, I think that could be enough to sort of give them the edge. And then the Giants, you mentioned, uh, I don't see it with the big leap. You know, uh, I think people were uh, really excited about their defense last year. You know, statistically, it was a mediocre defense. You know, I, I think their defensive coordinator did a good job with their talent at his, at his disposal, but I just don't think they're like low, have enough talent on defense to make a significant leap. And then offensively, you know Jason Garrett's one of the worst offensive coordinators in the NFL until he proves otherwise. I mean, I see no reason to have any faith that he can sort of match opposing defensive coordinators uh, step for step on a weekly basis. They've got one of the worst offensive lines uh, in the NFL as well, and no one's fumbled more than Daniel Jones since he entered the league. So uh, I think people get a little carried away. You see Kenny Galladay, uh, you know, very good player if he can stay healthy. You see Saquon Barkley very good player if he can stay healthy but I think some of those other things I mentioned like those are big deals that that can be uh, very difficult to overcome. And I don't know that they're good enough uh, to overcome some of those other issues.
1: I love what you said about Jason Garrett. I couldn't agree more. I had always joke that Jason Garrett, you could hand him the 92 Dream Team and he'd lose to Puerto Rico back in 1992 um, in terms of his coaching abilities. Uh, so right, right on the same thing, same, uh, wavelength as you. And I don't wish injury upon anyone, despite the fact that I'm a the team that he plays for. But I have my, one of my hot takes has always been that uh, – Saquon Barkley is another small injury away from turning into CJ Spiller. That it was all talent, but in, like enormous amount of talent, but just never coming together in the NFL. Um, it's it, that's like I said, that's how I feel. So um, there's some people. I don't know if I necessarily agree with them that they're like, oh, you know, watch out for the Giants. But whatever. And, and kind of wrapping things up in a very similar manner to talking about the other teams. You know, one more plug for your playbook. It's another great perk for subscribing to The Athletic. It's available to everyone. You do a really good job of diving through all 30, or diving into all 32 teams. And as you did that and as the dust settled upon this publication, was there anything that really kind of stuck out to you? Any team where you're like, "Uh, I didn't realize that. And now that I took a second look at them, I'm kind of having a second opinion of them, Uh, or a particular player, or just anything you want to leave the listeners with?
2: yeah and thanks for plugging that and if people want to check that out you can go to com slash nfl playbook and it takes you right to the uh to the place where you can download it and, and subscribe uh to the athletic so that's the easiest way to get there you know one nugget that i had that i thought was pretty interesting was i looked at all the rookie quarterbacks over the last 10 years and just the guys who played you know not the ones who sat behind starters or got in for a couple games like the ones that you know played I think I looked at 300 dropbacks or more and I wanted to see what's sort of the what's a fair expectation for a rookie quarterback and what I found was that uh sort of the median season for a a rookie quarterback is about the 23rd ranked starter and You know, the reason that surprised me is just because we look at it. You know, I don't know if it even surprised me, but I think it's a good baseline to look at when you look at a team like the San Francisco 49ers, right? And Trey Lance is getting a lot of training camp buzz, and, you know, I think he certainly could be really good. But if you just look at it based on sort of the last decade, like the most likely outcome is that he's going to be uh, a below average or, you know, an average to below average starter in his first season. And so that's something that the 49, it seem like the 49ers has to weigh, you know, it's not just, Hey, we're excited about this guy. It's what's the likelihood that he's, he's going to be better than our other option, which is of course, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. And so uh, if you're looking at teams like the Jets and Zach Wilson or the Jaguars and uh, Trevor Lawrence, or uh, the bears is sort of an interesting one because I, I think, you know, if you were the Bears and you said, hey, Justin Fields is going to perform like the 23rd ranked starter, well, that's probably going to be better than Andy Dalton. So that's like a case there where you say, yeah, you should start him because he's got upside. He'll bring excitement to the fan base. He'll, bring a, he'll, he'll get valuable experience and he's probably going to be better than Dalton uh, right away. So I, I like to look at stuff like that. You know, sometimes we can get carried away um, with narratives or, or excitement, and, and I'm the same way like everyone else. But it can be useful to kind of look at precedent and say, hey, what's the real likelihood that a guy comes in and performs like an above-average starter in his rookie season? And, and it's really about, you know, I think I, I looked it up, you know, 23 to 25%, like a one-in-four chance, that that's going to happen. So I think that's a way uh, that some of these teams have to look at those decisions.
1: I was just, just thinking about the same thing. If you ask bears fan over the last bears fans over the last, I mean, maybe since Jim McMahon played that you're going to get the 23rd ring quarterback. They'd be like, well, you know, we'll start at the parade on down Michigan Avenue for that. Cause that's <laughs> right. that franchise has never had a good quarterback. You're talking about Sid Luckman and Jim McMahon. And that's about it. So, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. But the buzz around Chicago, around Justin Fields, around actually having a competent quarterback to, you know, get it to those guys is uncontroll- out of control. I mean, they're one of the buzziest teams of the off season without question. So it's just uh, interesting to kind of put that in perspective one way or another. To p- kind of put you on the spot for the final question, um, early, early predictions or thoughts as you're kind of going from spot to spot in terms of the best team in the NFC, obviously – probably it's hard to take it away as long as tom brady's in tampa bay and then maybe the other side of the AFC.
2: yeah i think in the nfc you know i hate to go chalk but uh i do think tampa is really set up well they brought everybody back and really if you remember last season like in the middle of the season we weren't all talking about the bucks as super bowl contenders like they didn't get it going until later in the year and so if you think about that Uh, If they're building off of that and if they have another level to get to, they have a lot of stability with their coaching staff. They have a lot of continuity with their roster. I thought they built their depth uh, pretty well there. So I I think they are the favorites in the NFC. I think the Packers are are sort of a wild card, but I still think their offense is going to be really good. I think the Rams, I am sort of buying the hype there with the Matthew Stafford addition. So I I think they're going to be a pretty good team. So those are kind of the three that I look at in the nfc the afc is it's of course hard to go against the chiefs i mean they've just got the infrastructure with the coach and quarterback where you pretty much know they're going to have a top five offense barring an injury to patrick mahomes and so that's going to put them in the mix and i think that second tier in the afc is pretty interesting some of these teams i'm visiting on this training camp tour the buffalo bills uh the cleveland browns uh, you know these are teams with, with very good rosters where you look at it and you say let's see what the quarterbacks do you know does Josh Allen have another level to get to or is he going to regress a little bit does Baker Mayfield have another level to get to or is last year uh, sort of the guy we're going to get again and then I, I would say my sleeper in the AFC is the Los Angeles Chargers and I, I know they're like a popular sleeper it seems like every year and then they get hit with the worst luck but uh, I just feel like things are set up really nicely for them I love Justin Herbert you know I'm hyping him probably as much as any player uh, in the NFL, any under the radar player—I uh, don't, even, not under the radar—but you know, not, not like a Patrick Mahomes. I, I just loved right. everything I saw with him. I thought they were one of the worst coached teams in the league last year. So even if you just kind of get to mediocrity, um, that would be a big step up. So uh, they're a team I have my eye on as, as sort of a sleeper team in the AFC.
1: You said you just left Berea, right? You're on your way to the said Colts and, and Panthers joint practices. Is that was that accurate?
2: That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: So to final, 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 for real, the buzzy, you're talking about teams like under the radar. This is probably maybe even more than the Bears, the real buzziest team of the offseason. People are hyping Cleveland as like dark horse Super Bowl, second best team, the true number one contenders to Kansas City. Did you see anything in Cleveland that would leave you with that impression? Or I mean, obviously, it's again, it's just shorts and T-shirts. So that's a hard question, but just knee jerk reaction.
2: the roster is really good. I mean, uh, you know, my only question with them is is does the quarterback have another gear to get to where he can sort of match a Patrick Mahomes uh, or, you know, put up a bunch of points uh, against a a defense like the Baltimore Ravens. So I probably should have mentioned in that next year earlier, but just the roster, you know, the offensive line may be the best uh, in the NFL Odell Beckham Jr., uh, a bit of a question mark, of course, but you're getting him back. You're adding him to your group from last year. The defense was not very good last year, but they were decimated by injuries, and they really addressed their holes on that side of the ball. So I just think if you look at it, like, like if you took the quarterback away from every team and said, all right, you know, number two through 53 on the roster, like to me it's a top five roster uh, in Cleveland. So – Um, I don't know. You know, you don't want to overhype them. I think they were overhyped probably two years ago, and things went poorly. And then last year, uh, things went well. But I do think sort of the stability they have there with the coach and the GM, uh, who are both very impressive, kind of the infrastructure there, uh, I think are going to give them sort of a higher floor than they had uh, two years ago. And it's just a matter to me of, um, you know, how good can Baker Mayfield be. And I'm not sure. You know, I'm not uh, kind of sold that he has that other gear. To get to where he can match some of these other quarterbacks but uh, i'm not ruling him out either because i do think he's very set up set up well to succeed with sort of the pieces around him
1: they do seem like a stark contrast from the uh john dorsey freddie kitchen circus that was over there so um yeah your point is well taken in that regard um she'll hate first and foremost drive safe on your way to uh colt's panthers joint practices um for everyone listening we're definitely going to make sure that we plug both the playbook have the link url directly that he mentioned as well as a link to his twitter profile so make sure you give him a follow so um once again Shield, thank you so much best of luck with everything and look forward to talking to you soon all
2: right thanks man appreciate you having me on
1: likewise take care man
0: all right, I'm happy to be bringing my buddy John back on the podcast now. Um, shame on me for both how long it's taken to have him back on and for actually not getting to this part of the uh, of the conversation sooner, although John, Neil, and myself constantly have these conversations on our ongoing Slack thread. But considering the Washington Wizards for that rare one time, and I, I don't even know how to react. I'm like Ricky Bobby, and I and I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, they actually did intelligent things in the offseason. They didn't let... Uncle Ted Leone's is a short-sighted, you know, s- treadmill of mediocrity, modus operandi get in the way. Um, it's like, I don't even know who they are anymore, but uh, to break it all down, to talk about it, to uh, kind of bring to light the conversations we always have, as I said, on our Slack channel, um, John, welcome back, even though it should have been uh, much earlier than it has been.
3: No, thank you for having me. I mean, it is pretty amazing that they're actually, you look at the what they've done and it's it's impressive. I mean, you remember when they, you know, they finally fired Ernie and they, I mean, just hiring anybody would have been better. And, you know, Tommy Shepard was kind of like the, the booby prize, so to speak, not necessarily the booby prize, but like, you know, he was the, you you knew that's what you were going to get, but then you looked at the staff that they assembled and like, they really had like a creative thought process behind the way they actually built their front office. And they brought a lot of smart people in and it just hasn't really clicked until now, I think is when it's starting to click. Cause it's like, Oh wait, they do value second round draft picks. They do value their first round draft picks. They do want to try and develop some of the young talent. Um, I do think the biggest handcuff was uh, Ted Leone's being so cheap that he wouldn't let go of Scott Brooks when he knew he should. And then, and then of course, we, I mean, John wall was the untradable contract that the only way you could trade it was to trade for another untradable contract. So they gave up a first for wall. They end up with Russ. Russ had a very, very slow start due to injuries. Came on, like, I actually really enjoyed watching him. So part of me was kind of sad to see him go.
0: That makes one of us. All
3: right. He was fun. He really was fun because once he got – towards the end of the season, he was kind of back to old Russ where he was, like, you know, explosive player attacking the basket. But then he still did the same dumb shit. Like, I remember, you know, one of the games, it's like there's three seconds on the clock, Wizards down by, you know, two – Russ inbounds the ball and throws it away, you know? <laughs> so I won't miss those type of plays, but I, I will, I do appreciate the competitive spirit because it definitely rubbed off on the rest of the team.
0: There's no denying Russ was a great player. There was no denying that he looked great in the second half of the season once he got the rust off, once he healed up and everything like that. I think my disdain for him was much more through the prism of, this was another one of those, just again, as I was alluding to earlier, like band-aid something together and pray for the eighth seed type of moves. And like, I'm just so sick of Leon's making the kind of, you know, on behind the shadows, directing the front office to kind of focus on the short-term wins without looking at the long-term vision or the long-term health of this team. When the trade happened, I said, it just smacked of get me back to the eighth seed so I can get my two playoff home games, get my revenue from that. And like, your, your point is well taken in the sense that well they couldn't do it with John wall they wouldn't do it with John wall given everything that he happened to him last season everything that he was a part of last season they had to kind of part ways from that whether they yeah. should have or not is subject to debate um obviously he didn't look quite as good in Houston although the circumstances and were will inverse. he ever
3: but will he ever really bounce back I don't I don't know what you're gonna get with wall heading into the future
0: the odds are very are, are very low that you're going to get Anything, even 80% of peak John Wall, even 80% of that.
3: I mean, he's kind of like Derek Rose, where it's like, okay, he could be okay here and there, but like, are you really happy that he's your point guard?
0: But Derek Rose, at least to his credit, and I'm also another one of those, I like to drag on Derek Rose, just kind of give it to my buddy Neil or Buddy Neil, but like um he at least has reinvented himself after losing the explosiveness. And like Wall hasn't necessarily shown that ability yet. Obviously, there's still plenty right. of time for him to do that. But to that end, um You know That was a short-sighted move, but the reason why there's reason for optimism after this offseason is because for once, and why I was kind of blown away with everything, they have the long-term perspective in mind. And I think that was my favorite part of the Russell Westbrook trade. Not so much it was about the fact that it's like, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you, but it's about now they have flexibility. Now they have moves that they can do. Now there's things that they can start figuring out in terms of both immediately, like how do we put players around Bradley Beal? That's going to be a theme that we'll be talking about ad nauseum. But like both next year and the year after that, potentially adding a second star um, alongside the guys we have.
3: Well, what's important to adding stars? It's, it's assets because, I, I mean, you remember in like the early 2000s, uh, it was all about cap spaces, cap space, cap space, cap space. And if you weren't a team that could get the players, at least you were like making trades to help facilitate them. Cause it's like, yes, we'll absorb our cap space. Give us something good. But as you've seen, it's like cap space doesn't matter. Like if somebody wants like Kyle Lowry wants to go to Miami, they don't have cap space. They're going to make it work. They're going to do a sign in it. trade. It's going to work itself out. That's just what's going to happen. Whenever a, a talented player wants to get to a city, he's going to get there. So but in order to help you maneuver these scenarios, having assets is important in that because now it's like, oh, if somebody got, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if there was a, a free agent that wanted to come to DC, now it's like, well, we can at least offer you this player to match salaries and we can give you like s- some second round picks or something. You know, they, they, they can give compensation. So what they have now, is, and I'm like kind of jumping ahead a little, is they have a lot of dudes. They have a lot of dudes. And they don't all necessarily fit, and I, I think we'll get into this more. But I think that's like the point is, they're not done. They can't be done. And I hope so, you're right, right? Because like I don't like Kuzma is, a, is he's a nice piece, but he's also somebody that they could move. Because if you look at their wing depth, they just have an immense amount of it now.
0: So, using your segue from the being able to trade pieces and especially second rounders to get people like or to get people who would be potentially interested in joining here like i know the love was much more about us wanting to get Spencer Dinwiddie versus Dinwiddie wanting to come here. But there were considerations that like Beal was like, yeah, we can go get this guy. I'm down with going to go get him. And to that point, like the Wizards didn't have the cap space to go get Dinwiddie outright as a free agent. Um, So they traded a couple of seconds. Although that was an interesting saga, how that happened as well, irrespective of the five team.
3: It's amazing how they were able to pull that off because if they wouldn't have lumped it it into the Laker deal, they wouldn't have ha- been able to match salaries and the whole thing could have like fallen apart. So you do have to give, you know, Tommy Shepard and the rest of the front office credit for actually, p- I mean, you've, you've tried to make three teams deal in fantasy football. You it's can't impossible. do it. Right. You have so to have imagine doing a five team deal in the NBA, you right. know, it's, it's, it's not that easy. Cause you know, at the end of the day, I mean, these teams are all competing against each other. Now the Nets looked at the wizards and went, we don't care. Yeah, what and I mean,
0: and, and on top of that, the Nets were looking to dump him because like the super extension that Durant just signed and obviously uh Kyrie and Harden are up very soon. So they're like, look, we got we to gotta pinch any luxury tax pennies that we right. can. So they're like, look, we'll give him up for the proverbial b- bologna sandwich. And um, they found
3: his replacement in Patty Mills quite quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, another ring chaser, rightfully so. Um In his case, although whether or not he's going to get a ring with that cast is a di- entirely different subject altogether. Um, to your point about the dudes, I think one of the big surprises was the fact that they didn't trade Kuzma or Montrezl Harrell or Casey. I
3: could have to sworn get one of those guys was going to. I think program. everybody thought that. And I, to be honest, I was hoping it was going to be uh, Kuzma because I think out of the group, he's my least favorite. If you looked at the potential starting lineup, it's very, very clear what the backcourt is. It's Dinwiddie, it's Bradley Beal, and then the front court. It's going to be, I mean, Thomas Bryant when he's healthy, Daniel right. Gafford in the interim, and and Rui. And then who fills in in the three? And the one that I think makes the most sense is going to be KCP, who apparently is boys with Beal.
0: Yes, I did see that as well. Yeah.
3: So I think that's your starting five. So Kuzma again and Harold, I think, are expendable.
0: I might see – I I feel like I'm one of the uh, – kyle kuzma apologist for reasons i can't fully articulate um
3: bangs hot chicks
0: um well that's i mean that's always a pleasant uh pleasant uh wrinkle in anyone's resume but i also believe he was kind of um he just needed it was a change of scenery guy right like he, he did, definitely he, needed a change. He, he needed to get away from lebron um shocker uh it's um I, I think that he the the stagnation that he had after his rookie season i mean that's obviously not a um something that you want to hang your hat on but I think that pressure that just associated with LA they're like oh they have to win the title now and every if you know it's title or bust and stuff like that I don't know how much that did for his progression I feel like kind of coming to a city where DC where there really is no expectations outside of signing the guy who's his teammate uh that'll be better for whatever development is there although he is 25 already which is kind of um I chose a veteran in the NBA world right. um if he left I wouldn't be overly banged up if they got trade or like overly broken up about the fact that if you know they traded him to get something else but I do think that if he was there, in a vacuum, there's a ton of upside—not a ton, but there's upside that he could potentially, potentially get to. But your point about the log jam of the front court is well taken, and it's absolutely true.
3: Well, yeah, right. I mean, it's really the wing spot. So, I mean, if you look at the at the rest of the team, you've got you've got um, Hachimura H- Kuzma, Hachimura Kuzma, Denny. Then you also just drafted Kispert. Yep where's he going to fit in that guy's unfortunately he's never going to see minutes
0: i know i've been i've been thinking that how old is he
3: 22 he's 22 i think he'll see minutes like when they show his girlfriend in the stands but yes i mean that's about the only time he'll get facetime on the camera
0: if my memory serves me correctly her name was something like chesty larue or something yeah
3: but (laughs) sure busty st Clair. right um but then the the other uh the, the other albatross now, the new albatross, David Bertans, what do you do with the $80 million man? He doesn't really fit in. I mean, granted, if they want to just shoot the lights out, they're very capable of putting him out, Kisberg, Beale, um I guess you'd put KCP Kuzma. I mean, like you could go super duper small.
0: I think some team is going to overpay for. I mean, this is my hope. It's well, that's more where I'm hope.
3: saying I hope they still have moves left.
0: Well, or, or even like next trade deadline when a team's like, oh shit, we need shooting. Let's go get uh, Davis Bertans because there was like right. there was a chance that they would do it this offseason. I mean, this past trade deadline, right? Correct. And I'm hoping that's what happens that they're like. Oh, he's a shooter. He's on a bad team. We'll suck up that 19 million dollars a year or whatever he's making and to to pay for it. And I'm like good riddance because that'll get us off our um him off our books and maybe we get a favorable contract.
3: I still remember when they signed that contract, you're like, well, it would be nice to bring him back, but you're like, it's got to be at the right price. And when you saw the price, you're like, that's not the right price. That's
0: not the right price, right? $20 million a year in in that general vicinity was not the right price. I mean, that's like – I remember when $20 million-ish was a max contract, and I mean, I know inflation is what it is, but holy shit. Like,
3: well, Beal's uh, uh, set to make a $55 million contract if it goes for that fifth year of his uh, next off season. so – there's there's good reason to believe that Beal will remain, but I I don't think we're there yet. So in the conversation. I
0: conversation. I mean, let's let's because so we 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 talked about it before we started. The entire framework of this off was really about, in every single conversation. I mean, literally since the past eighteen months or whatever has been about Bradley Beal's future here in DC. And I think every move you can really shape it up to to uh, to give the subtext of it's about convincing Beal that like we have a plan, so you should stay here. Right. And so he, you know, he he picks up the player option, or basically he just signs the super max, whatever thing he's eligible for next offseason. Um, I'm with you, and we we talk about this with Neil all the time. That's a lot of money to pass a, up. It's
3: it's something in the range of five years, two hundred fifty million dollars, and the fifth years a player option,
0: right? In that it, scenario,
3: so let's say worst case scenario, he his career, I mean, he'll be 33 when that hits. If he's not playing up to par, he's picking it up. You know, like that's guaranteed. That's, these are all guaranteed money. This is, this isn't the the NFL where every signing bonus is, is all money. fake money. Like you read all those contracts and you're like, oh yeah, that five year deal. No, it's two at best. And they can easily get out of this, you know. So, the NFL, your
0: signing bonus is actually your money. Everything that's else your only fake. thing that's guaranteed. The rest is fake money. garbage. It's all fake money. So,
3: what they did was, you know, they, they, they drastically lacked depth. And so if you can take Russell Westbrook and turn him into better depth, more I don't depth. see any more depth. depth. Uh, and I mean, I'm not saying Dinwiddie is a acceptable replacement at the point guard. He's not Russ. Nowhere close to Russ. But he also won't do the dumb stuff that Russ did, too. Like, Russ didn't play defense. Russ and you have to constantly buy it turn the ball over
0: because he's Russ, right? right? He's the name brand that you have to kind of you have to take the good with the bad,
3: and um, and he's a ball stopper. So like, um,
0: that's another. He, there's a one. reason
3: he led the the NBA in assists last year because he always had the ball. He just always had it. The ball never moved. The ball they they typically had one pass and done was like you know their offense, and that's just not the best. Rhythm, And it also put them back that put them in bad uh, transition defense perspective. So if they can play a better, cleaner offense, reduce the turnovers, and they have a defensive minded uh, head coach, then um, I think they're going to be a better team.
0: That was one of my biggest pet peeves when they traded for Westbrook because Abdia, when they drafted him, like obviously he was young, played Euroball or uh, played in Israel or wherever it was. Right. Um, but he was as much a table setter as he was a scorer. Like right. the, 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 the Luca comparisons were really lazy. It's just Luca was a hot name. So it happened, but like, that's not his game. Right. Like he's more of the Swiss army knife guy. He's a table setter. He's, he's a, he He can see the court and he can make plays for everybody else. And I'm like, my man's never going to get the ball. Right. When Russell Westbrook is on the court, because like, as you just said, Westbrook is, is a black hole whenever, you know, he's he's getting minutes. And that was another frustration, coupled with the fact that Scott Brooks wouldn't know, you know, player development if it struck his house and burned it down, even though so, he was
3: so good at player development in OKC when you yeah. have Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant and James Harden to develop. Right.
0: Uh, and basically, they all credit basically uh, Kevin Ollie for the player development more than anything right. else. The old veteran in the locker room more than Scott Brooks. As we've said a thousand times, Scott Brooks' entire coaching philosophy was "Save me, Kevin Durant. Go do something amazing." Like that right. was literally everything Scott Brooks was. So, you know, that was what just frustrated me. And It's like that's why I probably checked out last season more than any time in my life or my last ten years really focusing on the team, or more than that, I should say. Um, because I was like, what is there to what's, what upside is there,
3: right? They were impossible to watch prior to the all-star break. Just right. I, you just couldn't watch them because you knew what was going to happen. And it, it wasn't fun. And I mean, I granted, I think they were fun to, to end the stretch. And it was nice to actually be in the playoffs, even though you knew they didn't have a real chance against, uh, Philadelphia.
0: It was funny. I was telling my, I was texting one of my uh, cousins who lives in Philadelphia and obviously there's Sixers fans. And I was like, when They went in. I was like, just please put us out of our misery, like put us out of our misery. And when I think, I think the Wizards stole game three, and I was yeah. like, seriously, like you let us win, or like you actually allowed the Wizards to pick up a win. Now, I think Embiid was out that game, but I was, I was yeah. just like, come on, man, like seriously. Um, and then of course, we saw what how the how things proceeded afterwards for Philadelphia. Um, we'll talk more about the East momentarily or in a little bit. Um, so you you touched on, I think. Another interesting wrinkle in all of this is the coaching aspect. Um, so, so, when the wizards were interviewing potential people to take over the job, you know, we were joking around. Maybe foregone. not so much. Not so so much joking around. They're like Wes Unseld was a foregone conclusion, right? Yeah, it just smelled like you know we joke about this with the Washington football team. We're like, you know, bring somebody back from the past and let's, let's heart, you know, you know, uh, fire up the nostalgia machine and, 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 you know, and and make everyone remember that and, you know, sell the marketing buzz around there. And I'm, you know, we were joking that like Wes Unseld has to be, as soon as his name was entered, he has to be the, the leader. And of course he ended up being that, but,
3: I'm nostalgia is a wonderful drug, but I'm sorry. Wizards nostalgia is not that addictive. Well,
0: that's my thing. And I'm like, (laughs) you've been to the finals one time in 1979. And like, and that's the history you're selling me. And I'm like, no offense, but like Wes Unseld senior was not a good GM.
3: Or a good coach.
0: Or or that, right? Like Wes Unseld, he's he's one of the, maybe the best player in franchise history. He's the best player. But like, what else, right? Like, uh, again, you have one finals appearance as a player. I believe it was his rookie season or second season. And, um, and then that's it. And in terms of the nostalgia and like whatever he did for this franchise. And I'm like, you know, now thankfully from everything you've put together, there is nothing but effusive praise for the hiring of Weston Jr. Uh, right. comes very highly recommended by a menagerie of people, both inside and outside of Denver. Um, so I am much less bearish than I was when it initially was, um, came out. Cause, I was just so much more like Leon's this year. Just you're reaching on this in terms of the nostalgia. I
3: was just disappointed because there were so many. There were I thought there were other candidates out there that they didn't even approach. So yeah, that's, that's where I was disappointed. I think
0: it was David Aldridge or somebody like that. It was somebody on the Athletic made a great point. He's like, that's not how the Wizards operate. They just live in an echo chamber. Well, they, think
3: about when they were looking at GMs. Who they who was their top target?
0: Literally nobody. Literally nobody. Besides, it was
3: the Tony's Nuggets GM.
0: Right, Tom. So Tim Connolly. Tim Connolly
3: so, was who? Why? Because he used to work for the Wizards.
0: Right. It's 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 the echo chamber.
3: And why is the and who who do you think told them to hire Wes onsell Jr.?
0: Tim Connolly, who spoke yeah. very 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 uh, glowingly of Tim of uh, excuse me of Wes Sell. Um, obviously, the Masai Ujiri uh, pursuit was a big pipe dream, and that also kind of smelled of the worth a shot. Though.
3: It was worth a hell of a shot. I would, t- I
0: would take him today if it was off. And that's no well, knock on now Shepard the, per se. The czar I know. of
3: he's, uh, Toronto, he like, basically owns the city at this owns, point. The, he owns. Well, they basically gave him complete control of the team. Yeah. And then they said, you know, if Adam Siv- Silver ever leaves oh. and you want to become the NBA GM, you go for it. It's yours. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's like almost to that level of control that he has.
0: If there was like a nod, nod, wink, wink, agreement I mean, I, or not if they probably if if there was I wouldn't be that surprised right. Um, and Lord knows he's qualified for it. I mean he is he is quite good at not only his job but just the way he presents himself and all of those things. But that's all neither here nor there. Um, I, I would say that
3: I'm uh, you know I'm a, more optimistic about Wes Unseld Jr. than I was same. when I first heard the name. Uh, but I think that's you know kind of typical of the reporting cycle that you that you get is you start getting some of these, that's when the more positive information starts to come out after he's been hired. So I think it, is it par, part of that influence? But I mean, I just, at least like, you know, some of the things he said about how uh, that he is a defensive minded head coach, but he also understands that this team needs to fly on offense and it was nothing. That there that won- nights, they're going to just have to outscore. I mean, they're just going to have to shoot the lights out.
0: This is switching sports, but there was nothing that emerged in the weeks after Washington hired Jake Gruden that made me feel any better about the hiring then. It stunk yeah. then and I it, it didn't like we, it. I mean, we
3: all knew they got the wrong Bengals coach.
0: It was um, yeah, really, seriously, Mike Zimmer. Yeah. Um Yeah, so but that's true. Nine out of ten times it's the reporting cycle, uh kind of does give you some comfort in all the, you know, the positive storylines. But I think to that end the fact that they talk so much about his involvement with Nikola Jokic's development, with Jamal right. Murray's development and all those things, uh, it's nice to talk about those names. And obviously, they're brilliant players and stuff like that. But the thing that we were screaming about and we talked about earlier with Scott Brooks is that we just needed somebody who would actually work with the kids versus shoving them on the bench so we could give Ish Smith more minutes, right? right. Like we need somebody who's going to – it's wonderful to draft – uh yeah of d in the top 15 he should have been a top 10 pick it was wonderful to draft ruey in the top 10 and you know and get well, kispert is a late lottery guy but whatever pieces we have but somebody needs to do something with them somebody needs to yeah. cultivate this talent we've been god awful i mean look at you know the kelly uberis of the world among others leaving because we just we don't do anything with them or we don't maximize their talent
3: right so i i'm really hopeful that that denny's going to get a shot with that second unit and and have him kind of lead i mean they you know, backup point guard's been a, a troublesome for spot for them time. for forever. Yeah. I mean, you remember when we were excited about the Eric Maynard signing?
0: I do remember that. Who was the dude that we had that he died?
3: That died?
0: Didn't he die? Who was the guy that we were just, oh, several years ago? It's blinking on me. Now was the backup point guard. Oh, the, the 2016, 15, two thousand sixteen, fifteen, six fifteen 15 Wizards team. Um, I can't, I'm losing it right now. But anyway, continue.
3: So, I mean... They ended up taking the, the, the you know the first that they got in the Westbrook deal. They shipped that to uh, the Indiana, and they, they got Aaron Holiday, Holiday. Who's one? He's young, still young, and um, he's he's going to be a really good backup point guard for him. Um, we'll see what um, who'd they get. Some Isaac Todd, I want to say. They got Isaiah
0: Todd. got so They got, the, got thirty one via Milwaukee, right? Which is um, still.
3: I'm sorry. At that point in the draft, the difference between twenty one and thirty one isn't immense. So for them to drop back.
0: Ramon Sessions.
3: Oh, Ramon Sessions?
0: I don't Maybe I'm thinking yeah. of somebody else.
3: Ramon Sessions wasn't bad. I mean, yeah, he could, he could get you a bucket. Um, they also kept Neto. They did resign him recently. And I thought that was, I was shocked because he played really well for them down the
0: stretch. So. Ramon Sessions is not dead. So I apologize for incorrectly yeah. killing Jeez. him off. <laughs> Why would you do that? I thought there was somebody Man, Maybe I'm confused on something else. Um, yeah, he's not dead. But
3: um, you can see where, like, you could see where there's room for Denny to play on the yes. second unit. And if he works as. I just don't see him making cracking the starting lineup that often this season. I'm sure he will due to people being out, but there's, as I said, there's so many guys, there's so much room.
0: I think he's going to start off the season really rusty because of the fractured fibula tibia. What of the leg, the, the leg bones that he has right. Or some, I don't think it's a stress fracture. I think it's a, that's a fracture, fracture. Right. So that's obviously not good. Um,
3: I mean, he, he at least said, I mean, that happened what, like April. So, I mean, he'll have, have time, the time but- to heal, but and they'll th- so they'll ease him into it.
0: Uh where was I going? I was going to say that um point B- oh, Aaron Holiday. I wanted to talk about Aaron Holiday. It's funny because I've heard like usually you hear consensus like meh for that type of player, but I've heard like it's been really polarized. There's yeah. a lot of people who are like, "Oh, that was a really good pickup. Like that's a sneaky solid one." A lot of people are like, Ugh. So, no, Zach Lowe you.
3: was like kind of like medium on him, and like Bill Simmons loves him. That was one person probably lean like, more towards Zach Lowe's opinion, though, at this probably. stage.
0: Probably. I would, I would, I, I, you have plenty of reasons to, um, to understand why you would say such a thing. Um,
3: Zach Lowe watches more basketball. <laughs> That's the answer. But I mean, the guy, he's, he's a, he's a reasonable scorer. He's he from a great right? family,
0: right? I was going to say it, if you, you know? A, he could, hopefully, he is a diet brother of his version and uh, of his br- diet version of his brother, and not the Marcus Vic to Michael Vic, if you will. Right.
3: I think his only problem is, I mean, he's small. He's six foot. But yeah. Other than that, I think if he was six three, he'd probably be a, a totally different player. But
0: to your point, he's also the backup, right? So he's it's the backup. Not, we yeah. don't would need to put a whole lot of eggs in those baskets, a whole lot of eggs in that basket. Unless of course, Spencer Dinwiddie's injury history comes with him to DC, which is a separate conversation in and of itself. Right.
3: Right. I mean, yeah. Two torn ACLs already. Yep. So, but I don't know. I, the, the interesting thing is uh, the, the, the combo of Beal and Dinwiddie are just going to just, they're going to, those games are going to be a little slow because those boys go to the line. A lot.
0: They do go to the line. Um, yeah. They, they Which have...
3: from an entertainment aspect kind of sucks. But from an actual practical basketball standpoint, you day take day. that every possession. I mean, it is kind of like a tactical advantage. And I, I mean, it also keeps them slightly fresher.
0: But when you put the composition of all these things together, like, yes, all you, you now you have Dinwiddie, who is, I can't remember how old he is, but now you have Beal, who is, I think. I think um, they're the
3: same age. I think they're both 27, 28
0: the entire
3: group 28
0: yeah didn't we is 28 yes and nobody's over 30. Uh, yes. And Kuz. I think Kuzma's on the younger end is at 25, right? Outside He's of like 26 a, outside of, Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. So outside of like the younger, like younger guys, like Denny and, and, and Rui and stuff like that. Um, it's an interesting mix. Like, as you said, they don't have a real old head in the locker room. They don't.
3: That, that I could, think Beal is the most veteran player on the team.
0: I kind of like always having one Methuselah player on the team, like just to be the, you know, the old man and, uh, and it, to who yells at everybody for no good reason. Um, but
3: Beale has nine years in the league. So it's oh,
0: incredible, right? Yeah, I forgot how long ago that we well, came
3: uh, in at 18. He I was drafted, he was 18 years old. So, I mean,
0: I distinctly remember that Kentucky team, not that Beale was at Florida, but like that Kentucky team with Anthony Davis and Marcus Kid Gilchrist, Michael Kid Gilchrist, Michael Kidd, yeah, um, who that won the title. God, like, oh, they're so filthy, but I distinctly remember that Kentucky team, um, way, 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 way back when, uh, who went one and two before Beale, right? I think so, yes. So but the the to, to wrap to kind of put everything in a shell or to put every the bow in all of this, okay, so the wizards made all these moves they're good moves uh, it's, they're it's good it's, moves. it's It's very difficult to object about against um any of them in a in a vacuum right, but we don't live in a vacuum, and the thing that kind of keeps I keep coming back to is like if there are fifteen teams in the east, thirteen of them either stayed the same but arguably actually improved right i would say the only teams of every and i mean every team in the eastern conference that didn't improve or and or took a step back is philadelphia and toronto philadelphia for the aforementioned reasons ben simmons is the fart that's going to linger in that room for however long until they can they, finally
3: till they've opened the window and get him out because there's Which, no way he starts the season on that team right
0: i i i beg to differ i think he's going really? to not only because they're gonna their sticker price Which... is too high
3: well, th- the only reason he stays is because Daryl Morey won't accept anything less. But from a, every other perspective, he should not be on that team. Just no. from a chemistry no. perspective.
0: I, I de- I, I'm i one of the last few Ben Simmons apologists left on the planet, and I'm running out of ammunition. Right. Like, you just you can't. He needs well, a fresh start somewhere else badly.
3: Jackie you know, McMullins put it best where she goes, you know, I was talking to this guy, and basically his whole thing is he's a perfectionist. And he won't shoot threes. Because he could, he could make 36% of his threes and that's not good enough to him. He thinks that he should make 45 or something like that.
0: I mean, I think I should be six, three, but we got to live in reality right well, now. I, t-
3: I told you he's, so, you know, it's all mental with him. And I think, I think that really would, f- that kind of fits. Cause he's like, he would rather, and it's like, he's, he's too cool. Like I would rather not look stupid because I have to look cool. Cause he thinks he'll look stupid if he misses a three, but anybody in basketball knows you got an open shot. You got to take it. And if you can hit that at a 35% average, that's good enough.
0: I'm not discounting
3: compliment everything else that you can do. That would be phenomenal. But if, but if he wants, you know, he's got to look good for those ladies.
0: I'm not discounting the head case. especially that last part. I think that he, he does love him. Um, the boon, mm-hmm. but, um, He's almost defiantly now not taking yeah. shots. Like it's almost to a point where like he's, it's outwardly like, oh, there's a wide open shot. Let me go out of my way to not take it. I thought it might've been a case of the yips or like some, like, you know, he needed to shrink. And uh, again, I still think there's a ton of validity in everything you just said, if not outright accuracy, but like, it's to the point where he's like literally like defiantly going in the wrong direction, like deliberately right. not taking them. And it's just so strange. Right. Right. Um, but how is he going to like
3: the Doc Rivers is like, we're going to work with this with this on Ben and he won't even talk to the team. So how can how can they even what, get what, what through what else this? Can Doc
0: say, right? Like Doc can't say be like, yeah, fuck that guy. Right. Like he that he's got to put on some public statement. But like, you know, in the background, I'm sure after that game, um, the, the last game of the, the Milwaukee series um, yeah. that he was like, get this guy out of here. Like, I can't win with this guy. Coaches are notoriously impetuous with that type of stuff right
3: especially when you pass up a dunk
0: the dunk that literally would have changed the outcome of the game if not the series right so yeah um so but to, point-
3: to your point is is that the rest of the east got better like even cleveland they got cleveland evan got mobley better. yeah detroit got cade cunningham yeah uh, charlotte
0: charlotte should- got charlotte did different at least made talent upgrades in the draft uh you, you mentioned Orlando made a ton of upgrades in the draft. I don't know. Like, they're not going to be like, oh, my God, they're a top eight or top ten So Detroit 10 and
3: Orlando are still going to
0: be at the bottom. They're still going to be at the bottom, but they're better. They're better than they were three months ago, right? Right. They're better than they were three months ago um, and going back to the East, right? So uh, Brooklyn is at least status quo, if nothing else. Milwaukee, sneaky get with Grayson Allen. Uh, that's yeah. fine. The Knicks got Kemba Walker for whatever he's worth. Atlanta kept trying to keep the core together. Um, Miami got Kyle Lowry, my favorite player in the whole world. Um, uh, Boston. I think Boston's largely status quo. I, I mean, I know um, what's his name stepped down Brad Stevens or step went stepped up. If you will,
3: Brad Stevens um, stepped
0: up, you know, Indiana didn't do anything, but they got Rick Carlisle. They got Rick Carlisle. Like that's a that's very huge. solid move. Right. That's so like massive, look at everything else that happened. And then Chicago, you know, they dumped a whole bunch of money at Lonzo and, and DeMar DeRozan. So it's like, okay, great. Um, you could realistically look at this team and be like, they're going to hang, up, hang back again in 10th or 11th just by virtue of all of that.
3: Pro- probably. So, that I mean, again, how often do you trade a superstar and you're still in the same position you were the last season? Even if you get um, a bunch of players in return. The thing that concerns me, though, is without having that second superstar, there is the – I think their floor definitely lowered because um, this – I don't want to say it, but like – How different is this from the 2019 team, you know, where it was Beal and a bunch of dudes? I mean, this is better because they're better dudes, but but it's still Beal and a bunch of dudes.
0: Especially if one of the dudes goes out for a prolonged period of time. Let's say Dinwiddie. Let's say, you know,
3: Rui hasn't been able to stay on the damn court. And Rui's probably the one with the greatest potential to improve this season. You could see him make a jump.
0: Yeah. There were really vibes with him.
3: Yeah. For sure. So, and then Thomas Bryan. If God, if that guy could play defense, because he can just score for a big man. His touch around the rim is fantastic, and he has he has range. He has legit range for a five. So he's he's a stretch five. His only problem is he cannot do anything on the other side. So if if West can do anything, if he can get some of these guys to play defense, and they have guys that like Kuzma can Kuzma actually can play defense. KCP can play defense. Beal is an excellent defender when he wants to. When be. he's locked,
0: I, when everyone was like, you know, Beal's a lazy defender. I'm like, Beal's no, not. No. I mean, he, or Beal's a bad defender. People, are like, yeah. oh, Beal's a really bad defender. I'm like, Beal's not a bad defender. Watch Beal his is, ass in the playoffs. Exactly, said I don't want to say unwilling, but Beal's like, it's one of those things where it's like, look, if I'm going to expend this much energy, it's going to be on the offensive end because somebody's right. got to do it, right? Right. Um. No, but yes, he he can be a lockdown defender if that is his charge, as you as you just said. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If they the can't chi- play defense, though, and they're just
3: dudes out there, and it's Beal, and they're just trying to score 140 points every night, that this, this is going to be well a happen. disappointing season.
0: Yeah, that could very well happen. The 2019 analogy is actually very apropos because – they really are i mean as much as it is like as much as you you know you got 3 for 1 when you trade westbrook or stuff like that at the end of the day those the league is star driven i know that contradicts everything i said about the team being better after trading russell westbrook but like you have to at least acknowledge it's, that point. i
3: don't think they're better i think they're on par i don't think they're worse off than they were with russ they're sure. still going to be an, an an 8 seed maybe 7 I don't really see them getting out of the not being in the play-in bracket, right? I think sort of like Chicago
0: making a big leap um, after the dudes they brought in, and then like, yeah, and then maybe Atlanta, maybe excuse me, maybe Indiana making a substantial jump or like a, a healthy jump because of the Rick Carlisle, Rick Carlisle. or something. Like, but yes, to your point, tenth is the tenth is the floor, right? right. And that's that's kind of assuming that they just the guys don't gel together and this year is a little bit is a little bit of a growing pain season
3: but yeah no the east definitely got tougher and um charlotte could easily be better um so yeah i mean this is going to be this is going to be a i think the east is going to be very 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 competitive i mean the west is a whole nother story i don't think we even need to get into that today
0: no i don't want to scream about lebron right now cool We will definitely have more to talk about. We're going to bring Neil back on for the next episode uh, when we do our annual NBA over-unders and we just rant about LeBron as we are apt to do or other things of that nature. Um, John, we're going to bring you back on probably in the next couple of weeks is we want to do some NFL over-unders on win totals Mm -hmm. because we we should do some we need to lay some hypothetical or maybe not hypothetical I need. oh they won't be
3: hypothetical the question will be what state will these wagers be made because Maryland has not gotten their stuff together I might have to go to Virginia or West Virginia to make make these wagers
0: now we can make a trip up to Charlestown races to you know to go lay some money down because I I, um, there's a few teams that I I'm like, yeah, they're not doing what you think they're doing. And there's a few te- money, well, a few teams where I'm like, that's some interesting, um, interesting odds over there. But uh, thank you nonetheless, and yeah, we will talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening to the Hail for the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast.